Hello and welcome to episode 64 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of accredited and experienced workplace psychologists. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon. I'm the managing director of Work Life Psych. And as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Pilar Ortiz. In this episode, we explore life as a psychologist under lockdown. What can a psychologist do? Well, quite a lot, as it turns out, coaching, training, and development programs. But as long as I have access to the internet. As ever, show notes and all our other episodes can be found at worklifepsych.com slash podcast. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at mypocketpsych or via the contact form on our website. Thank you for listening. Hi, Pilar. Great to be back with you. How are you doing? I am pretty well. Yes, I was saying I managed to get my walk in the morning, so I'm here fully present. Excellent, excellent. And I'm looking out the window now and the sun is in the sky. It's a really nice start to the day. So yeah, I'm noticing sunshine makes a big difference <laughs> how I get through the day. It makes a huge difference, even if you're not outside. For me, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, there's something about natural light, isn't there? Mm. Um, even when you're working and you're not outside enjoying it, just having some nice light around you makes a makes a real difference. So we're still in kind of lockdown conditions here in the UK. It is the 28th of May, and I just want to share that in case you're listening to this a long time away from now. So we're reflecting what's going on uh, for us in, in the outside world. Um, but we're going to talk today uh, really about what it's like to work during a lockdown. And and this is prompted by a couple of questions I've had from people I know saying, oh, well, you're a psychologist. There's not a lot you can do uh, from home, is there? Uh-huh. And it made me think that actually everything I'm doing is from home and maybe their perspective about what a psychologist does in the workplace is a little bit skewed or a little bit inaccurate. So I thought I'd share some examples of what I'm able to do as part of this and and share some experiences about what it's like to deliver these services uh, remotely. That sounds brilliant. I'm sure listeners will be as curious as I am. Okay. (laughs) And this isn't to establish a gold standard, by the way. (laughs) This is to say, this is what it's been like for me. But it was interesting because I think people assumed that I had to be in someone's office or they had to come to my office and that without that access, I had no work to do. So thankfully, that's that's not the case. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to start with some listener feedback. And if you listen to the podcast, even semi-regularly, you'll know that we always say get in touch if you have questions or comments. Um, and actually, I've, I've got quite a bit. So it, it's almost like it, it, it never rains, but it pours. I've had lots of feedback um, since our, our last conversation. The first one is an email, and I've had permission to share this is from, from Jacqueline, who, who asked a really good question about... Our episode all about the power of conversations. And so I'm just going to read what what she sent and, and maybe then we can have a think about what that means for us. She said, I'm inspired by the content of this podcast relating to workplace conversations. As a person who has been highly focused on supporting the neurodivergent population, I can see opportunities for expanding the use of the toolkit as it is, or perhaps an adapted or enhanced version to support an often vulnerable cohort who may fall victim of their non-typical social interaction skills, including the lack of social filters, 
prone to talking about inappropriate subjects or disclosing too much too soon, difficulties with emotional regulation, etc. I would be interested to know if any of the research sample were either diagnosed or had features of any neurodiversity, autism, ADHD, Tourette's, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dyspraxia, dot, dot, dot. Many thanks for the very informative and thought-provoking podcast. So let's take a step back. Um, what Jacqueline is referring to is, is the conversation that I had with Antonia Dietman about her research into the power of social chats in the workplace. And as part of that, there was a little toolkit shared with uh, some of the participants um, to guide them as to how to start these conversations. And they were, it wasn't very technical. It was just some thoughts on how to have a chat and what the topics might be and so on. And so I got back to Jacqueline saying, I'm, I'm not aware that any of this research that was done focused on aspects of neurodiversity. And I really don't think anyone was assessed for any of those conditions. But I have put Jacqueline in touch with Antonia directly so they can carry on that conversation. I thought that would be the better thing to do. But it really did uh, spark some thoughts um, in me about, yeah, assumptions that we might have about conversations in the workplace and what they mean to people and how they might be easier or more challenging depending on some individual differences and aspects of neurodiversity. So it was sort of underlining for me that whenever we look at these topics, whenever we look at research, uh, ideally we should also reflect on as broad a workplace population as is possible. So previously we've been asked to expand our references to the workplace to include non-office based employees. Uh, and I think this is also a call for us to also reflect as broad a population of people at work. And in this case, people with neurodiverse conditions. So. Jacqueline, first of all, thank you so much for listening, for getting in touch and for your really interesting question. I hope you and Antonia are able to continue that conversation going forward. And, and I think that's a really good jumping off point for some research if it's not been done. If you are listening and you are an expert in neurodiversity and you've got some thoughts on this, the power of conversation and aspects like social filters, do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you and, and potentially have you on the show to talk a little bit about that. And where can people get in touch, <laughs> Richard? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at MyPocketPsych or via our contact form online. And you can find that at worklifepsych.com slash contact. And I will underline that we really do love to hear from you, even if it's, you know, you could do this better or I want to hear more about that. Anything that lets us know how we can better meet your needs. And as I said, it never rains, but it pours. So I had some really nice feedback from someone who listens to the podcast in Dublin. And um, just to summarize everything they said in their email, because I didn't have permission to share the, the whole thing, but it made them rethink how they have chats with people now that they are working remotely. They now have a distributed team. Everyone's working from home. And our discussion about the power of conversations uh, made them reconsider some of their assumptions about what people need from chats and maybe to move beyond a very strong task focus to checking in with people to see how they're doing. That was really interesting to hear. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I had some feedback from someone who, as a result of listening to the podcast, reached out to find out more about how they could get coaching from us. 
which was really, really interesting. I think that's the first time that's ever happened. They've listened to, I think, all of the episodes to date and our conversations about coaching and its impact and what good coaching looks like really resonated with them. So we've had a conversation about how, how they can potentially start coaching with me. So really, that's, you know, linking our virtual podcast world to the really super practical coaching world really quite nicely. So so thank you for getting in touch. And if anyone else is interested in having that conversation, please do get in touch. But I think it's interesting because it, it changed someone's perspective on what coaching could be and how it could benefit them. So it's great to hear. That's wonderful news because I know that you, you've especially wanted people to understand what coaching is, what it can be, its potential and everything. So I'm, that's a really, really great, uh, yeah, that's really great feedback, Richard. Nice to hear. Nice to hear. And also for, for some people, um, it, it's as much about an understanding of what coaching is and isn't combined with them reaching a point where they think now's a good time. Yeah. You know, the stars have aligned or uh, I'm hitting a, a brick wall here or I've had some feedback, but whatever it is, it, it combines. And if you can get that understanding of what coaching is, along with a, a good rationale or a, a goal to work towards, you tend to get a much better result. But of course, I'm doing all my coaching virtually now. So we'll, we'll return to that a little bit later and talk about what difference that might make and what that experience is like to provide the coaching um, over a video link. But I also want to cover off some internal news today, some work-life psych news. Um, and so we've got a new training proposition, a new set of courses that we're making available. And because we're at this point in time operating in lockdown conditions, these are all going to be offered in the form of a webinar. So they can be run in-house, but I've gathered them all together um, as a result of feedback over the last year, revisited some of them, repackaged some of them, and created some new content under this banner, Bite Size Learning. And there's a few reasons for that. I mean, one is it's really challenging, if not impossible, for people to attend a one-day training course via webinar. Um, it's, a, it's a big ask for people to engage uh, online. And so these represent bite-sized focus sessions of 90 minutes that aren't disruptive from a time perspective, can be chained together as a, an ongoing program, but they're nicely aligned uh, against our three core themes of helping people with their well-being, their productivity, and their effectiveness in the workplace. I'm going to include a link in the show notes. It's, it's very easy to remember, though, worklifepsych.com slash bite-sized. And that will link back to all of the course details, but it just puts on one page that rationale for, well, why is it a good idea and why now? Because, I, Pilar, I don't know if you've ever come across this, but sometimes when there is a bit of a challenge, uh, maybe an economical challenge, there's uh, something going on, training budgets tend to be the first thing that get hit. And so I'm, I'm making the case for why learning and development doesn't need to cease during this period. And in fact, why it's a really good idea to continue to offer learning opportunities to employees. And these bite-sized sessions, I argue, are a great way of doing that. It's also a really great use of the online space because sometimes if we're running a session in 
in a physical space, in a co-located way, sometimes it's not worth to go somewhere for an hour and a half because maybe it takes you an hour to get an hour to get back. But actually mm-hmm. in the online space, short sessions are really worth going to also. So I think that's a great, um, yeah, adapting to the medium. Yeah, and, and it's they've sort of proved their point. I've been running these for, for a little while now with a, a range of organizations. And so what you'll be able to see are the... Um, bits of feedback I've been collating from clients to date. And um, that that goes a long way to helping people understand who's using it and also what they think about it. So, um, and I think it, it is a different experience and many people won't have had this before, They, uh, but yet the feedback is great because people have the opportunity to do something practical, to get answers to their questions live. So it's not a broadcast, it is a training session. It's just shorter duration via a different medium. And it works. Um, it, it really seems to work. And I'm actually running a program of these uh, for a client in Spain. And, you know, each month it's a different one of these. And, and some of the population are also getting coaching. And it's all being done online. But while these are relatively short sessions, together they make a program of management skills training. And that gap in between the sessions gives the delegates a great opportunity to put the skills into practice and come back with their questions. And because it's a program, I get to know them and I can address their questions at the start of each session and really demonstrate the benefit of practicing it and and ask their or answer their what about questions or the challenges they've had in between the sessions. So in, in many ways, it's even better than getting everyone together for one whole day and potentially not seeing them again. There's that continuity that, that I really, really like. Brilliant. So worklifepsych.com slash bite-sized for more details around that. So Pilar, how are you doing under these lockdown conditions? It's been weeks now. So have you noticed any changes to how you work or how you're feeling about things? Weeks? I think you mean months. (laughs) To be honest, that's one of the things is that it does feel like a really long time ago and that that we started. So I'm quite settled. I'm a little bit nervous as to transitioning to something else and especially knowing that the next stage of what we move to is also going to be um, trans- another transition. So it's it's not going to be how how life is, but then life will change again and again. I think it's this constant things changing and having to adapt and just go through, um, yeah, go through things as they change. It's making me a bit nervous that, but I'm not trying not to think about it. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I think we touched on this before, is around the perception of time. So, for example, um, the days go fast, but the weeks go slow. So, for example, I sent uh, an email on Tuesday that I was hoping for a reply for, and I only got it today. And I was saying to my husband, look, they took two days. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the main thing I've noticed is that time is strange. It really is. I was writing an email this morning to someone and I had to stop myself because I actually wrote, um, I'll come back to you later in the week. Oh, wait, hold on. It's Thursday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that is a bit peculiar. Um, and you're not the, the first person to, to mention that to me. I think that transition point is very important because there will be a transition and then another and yeah. another as we go through the different phases of things. And it's also going to be different 
in different industries, sectors, geographies. And one of the things I've been thinking about in, in adapting to these is the real power of this skill of accepting the discomfort that comes with it rather than wishing it were different, you know, or focusing on what can't be done. You know, we talked about this a little bit previously when we talked about dealing with the overwhelm that can come with this whole experience. But I, I've noticed that if I focus on what's still possible, what I can enjoy, and don't compare my experience to other people's experience or the UK's experience to other countries' experience, it's kind of less upsetting and it's a bit more pragmatic and it's a bit more real. Um, so, you know, there's lots of stuff we could be fed up about and lots of stuff we could be really upset about, um, you know, unless we're personally impacted by this, this terrible, terrible virus. But when it's the disruption to our lives, focus on what you can still do um, and also make a plan for the future the stuff that you're looking forward to. I've got a nice little note on my phone that's a, a list of all the things I'm looking forward to realistically being able to do in the months ahead. But I know that the return, if you, that's an in inverted commas, to the workplace, that's going to be phases and phases. And so lots and lots of different transitions to go through. Uh, and for some of us, it's going to be a lot tougher than others. And even mentioned nervous, even getting to the workplace could be quite difficult for some people because of how they're feeling about being around other people and how they're feeling about getting on public transport, for example. I That's been a lot on my mind. Um, uh, and and do, do bring the conversation back to what you wanted to, Richard, but that how it's going to feel for people interacting in workspaces, for example, when they have to wear masks, if they have to, uh, if they have to keep distance from each other, how is that going to feel, what that's going to do to communication and our, just our comfort in the space? Mm. Uh, there was a brilliant uh, piece on uh, BBC Daily, I think, no, Business Daily from the BBC. There was a piece around that and uh, privacy versus safety. So how a business is going to control whether the disease is around. And, and I think, again, what is that going to do to our psychological state of mind uh, at work? So, yeah, mm. and all of that's been on my mind, too. So there's been, I've done, to be honest, I've done lots of what I would call philosophizing. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, and I'm starting to take some notes as well, which I hadn't done before, and just capture what I'm thinking very loosely. That's a really nice way of approaching this. If nothing else, you'll have something to look back on, um, because this is a monumental thing we're all going through. But it can also give you the opportunity to see how your views and your feelings have changed as we transition through these different these different phases around us. And of course, it's going to move at different speeds as well. So that comparison, you know, oh, they're able to do this, I'm not, or my business is doing this and that business isn't doing that, that can be upsetting, that can be distracting too. So um, I, th I think it, it can be misleading to look forward to a point at which a switch is flicked and then that's it. This is going to be lots and lots of ups and downs. For, for quite some time. Um, and so I would suggest that one of the, the best things that we can do is to retain an open mind and focus on adapting to the new circumstances rather than a focus on how it used to be before all of this kicked off. Now, I sound like a bit preachy saying that because I've had a few challenges <laughs> okay. myself during lockdown. I, I won't say I've um, responded to all of them really well, um, but I thought I'd share a couple of them. Um, so, we're, you know, working from home is easy, right? Uh, everything I do, I can do from home. Well, you see, the challenge is for me, 
and like a lot of people, I need to be in contact. So I need to be connected to the internet. And um, a couple of hours before I was due to kick off a new training program with a new client via webinar, my internet went down. And it wasn't just mine. It was like two postcodes here in East London. Um, so if it had been my laptop or my phone, there's a workaround, yeah. but it was the entire huge neighborhood. <sighs> and, um, I had to, I had to dig deep. <laughs> oh. Uh, so maybe it was a bit of panic and then a bit of anger, frustration, and then into problem solving mode. What can I do about this? So actually I messaged, um, the client because thankfully there was still mobile signal uh, and it just explained what was going on and what my plan was. So I was going to tether my computer to my phone and use the mobile signal to run it and hope that would work. And I, I just got this really nice human response, which was, look, these things happen. We're all working under difficult circumstances. Let's see how we get on and we can always manage this. You know, which, which was a great example for me of, oh, I'd catastrophize this. Yes. <laughs> You know, I really had very quickly because for me, it was a new start, new client, you know, do a great job, uh, leave a good impression. And then it was, you, you can't even turn up for this. And everyone's going to hear that you weren't able to run it. When in fact, it was, look, we're all dealing with challenges at home. And um, and then the internet came back. <laughs> oh. So it solved itself. I don't know. I don't know what happened, yeah. uh, but it came back on. And then about a week later, uh, my mobile phone died spontaneously on a Sunday. Oh, uh, again, under lockdown and all the shops are closed. And, and so I had to, again, think, well, I managed to get through this the other week with no internet. What could I do? And what will I need it for? And that was a really interesting experience. After the initial, why did this happen to me? It was actually, I don't use my phone as much because I'm doing everything via email via instant message, via video. Um, I know who I need to speak to over the next week. It would be a very simple task just to let them know my phone's kaput. So get in touch with me another way. Um, that was the Sunday. And actually by the Tuesday afternoon, I'd been sent a replacement phone. So it wasn't the disaster that I immediately thought it was going to be. But, you know, I think these things come in threes. So I'm, I'm kind of braced oh, no, for you're some, waiting. some other piece of technology. No, that's a, that's an irrational belief, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well. But, but, you know, I'm rel I've got a relatively straightforward arrangement here. Um, I don't have childcare responsibilities. I don't share my home with five or six people. And yet, yeah, it seemed like a bit of a disaster for these things to happen. Isn't it funny how hardwired some of our reactions and habits are? Because when you said, and, and similarly to, I think, your thinking process, when you said, my mobile phone died, I immediately went, oh! and then I thought, yeah. does he have a landline? And then I thought, but if you're home most of the time, why would you need a mobile? Um, and like you said, I mean, uh, I don't know, I don't have a landline anymore, but as you said, it's really, it's really easy to get in touch with someone and say, my phone died, can we do Skype or whatever, Zoom? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I really am crossing my fingers for you, Richard, and there's not another <laughs> technology thing, because like you said, um, we've always been dependent on technology, but now even more so. So Yeah, yeah. And it's really come through in in some of the work that I'm doing that the, the techno so not everyone is confident using the technology. Uh, 
And not everyone has a great link to the outside world via the internet. You know, it, it really depends on geographically where you are, or as some people have fed back, how many teenagers are in your home playing online games at the same time yeah. <laughs> while you're trying to have your coaching session via video. So what I thought I'd do is maybe walk through some of the, the now that we've got over my personal crises, um, describe a little bit about what a psychologist can actually do when, when we're under lockdown. The, the brief answer is everything that I've been doing so far. There's nothing that I've stopped doing. It's just been an adaptation to um, providing these services in a, in a virtual format. And for me, that's been really, really interesting because up till now, the vast majority of the coaching that I've done has been face-to-face. -face. There's always been a percentage of coaches in different time zones and, and different geographies, and that's been done via video. But the majority has been face-to-face, -face, and I was very comfortable with that. I've, I've flipped to doing it all online and really not had much of uh, uh, work to do to adapt to that. Now, that's I'm just speaking personally. Some of the coaches have found that a bit of a challenge, um, especially those that are used to meeting face-to-face -face and now have to do it online. For those that I've started work with and we're only doing it online, that's all they know. So it hasn't been a big, a big um, thing for them to deal with. Uh, but I, it's not identical to doing it in the same room obviously, and especially as we're all under lockdown. So I don't know if you can imagine what might be some of the challenges with coaching someone under lockdown, Pilar. I can imagine the challenges for the coachee. So uh, someone who, when we're in, in what were ordinary circumstances, and I'd go to your office or your, mm -hmm. your office to chat to you. One, I leave lots of stuff behind me and step into what to me would be a neutral space or at least a comfortable space. So I think that any associations that um, going to do a different physical space would have to, which might help or hinder, because again, we don't know whether that would be comfortable or less comfortable. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting. Um, and then I'm thinking having the sessions at home, I, I don't know. Again, uh, for some people, it might be a better setup, regardless of the tech. I mean, I'm putting the, the tech connection to one side at the moment. Mm -hmm. But I wonder whether that can be a more comfortable setup or actually a less comfortable setup. And especially I'm thinking um, I'm doing some meetings and stuff in my lounge. My husband can hear everything I do. So also how much of a how much privacy can some people find at home. So I, I, yeah, it's bringing up all these questions about the coach C and just seeing that actually how it might be better for some people, same for others and worse for others. You're absolutely right. And that's why I think I've, I've been spending time talking to each of my, my coaches, each yeah. of my clients to just have a discussion about their personal circumstances at home because it's relevant, you know, so I, I know a lot more about them as a person, you know, have they got kids, are the kids at home, uh, do they live alone, do they live with someone else, where are they doing this from yeah. in their home, and do they have that privacy, which is really important, um, and from that perspective, we, I'm normalizing it, and helping them not to worry, because I know that some people want to put on a, a business face when they're doing this, and actually, look, you're at home, and I can hear your baby, so, you know, let's not pretend that you don't have kids and it's part of who you are and it doesn't 
have any impact on my perception of you. I'm not viewing you negatively because you're being interrupted by a toddler or there's a dog barking or, you know, your husband keeps walking behind you to get to the kitchen. Um, but it's important to set that expectation that that's okay because we're all in similar circumstances. And I've explained my side to them. Sometimes I'm in this home office. Sometimes I'm not. I'm in the main area because we take turns using it at home. Fair is fair. And uh, I've had to apologize for the builders across the road making an obscene amount of noise. So the home isn't, a, isn't always the, the best place to do coaching from. And I think that neutral space point you made earlier, that's why so many people do like to leave their office and come to see me. Um, and so while we can have the conversation, we do need to be sensitive to the environment or at least pay attention to it and discuss it and not pretend it's not happening. Does it make a difference to you whether you do the session from your office or from that other space that you mentioned? Um, it does in some ways. So I'll be really um, open. I mean, yesterday I was working from this this office. It's a small, it's a second bedroom that I've converted into an office. So but everything's closed. The windows are closed because of the noise. The door is closed for privacy. And it just got super hot in here yesterday and really uncomfortable. Whereas if I'm in the lounge, it's a much bigger space. We've got doors open onto a balcony. There's air coming through. So, and I'm on a sofa, which is really nice. So in that sense, it, it does. But I, I want to be in front of a large screen at my iMac. I want to be able to give someone my attention. I want to be able to have a desk in front of me for taking notes and things. So it, it depends on who I'm talking with as well. Um, but I notice that. And if I'm not in the office, I'll explain to someone why that is, because they're all getting to know the space behind me mm. and looking at the objects over my shoulder. <laughs> uh, but it's for, for a coach, it's, it's very important, um, I would argue, to be aware of that stuff. You know, how comfortable am I? What what else is going on for me? Um, and absolutely that pre-coaching session prep, uh, not only, you know, focusing on what we're going to talk about and what the person said they were going to do and how we left things, but also how am I feeling? Have, have any of my antisocial neighbors managed to hack me off this morning? And do I need to just, you know, take a moment to um, bring my focus back to this person? And that wouldn't necessarily happen in my office. So, yeah, I was going to ask you about your uh, way of preparing. I mean, from what I'm hearing, it's probably very similar to how you would do it. But is there are you doing any other stuff that's different apart from what you mentioned, either before or after the sessions? So I always leave space um, time wise to be able to prepare and then review. And normally I'll email someone immediately after the session, if I'm sharing a resource with them or just summarizing some of the actions, uh, especially if the person has been very, very distracted by childcare, for example, or, or a noisy dog, I, I will then write them a, a very quick email to say, look, just to summarize and here's the link and so on. Then I'll move around a bit because I will have been sitting at my desk for an hour without moving from it. So I'll get up, I'll go to the kitchen, I'll get some water, walk around a bit, maybe stretch. Um, and I'll have at least a 15 minute gap in between either training or coaching or other kinds of meetings. And 
if if not that it's 30 minutes because it's really important to me as an individual just to have that break so I can attend to myself and not allow one session to overspill in into the next one and I, I do that in my office as well I'm, I'm quite I'm a little bit of a walk away from the kitchen area and I'll always make sure that I head there in between sessions I'll walk the person out of the building so I'll get steps in that way and move around and get away from from the seated position and then clear the mental decks for the next person I'm, I'm going to be speaking to whether it's coaching or not must be so interesting because it's such a of, of all men, the many professions that are being able to move their work online, yours is one that requires such a, a high degree of self-awareness, <laughs> also of, um, in a way, emotional connection or cognitive connection, just that real understanding of the other person or that empathy and everything. And so it's just really interesting how the environment is or not affecting all that. It, absolutely. Especially if someone is a bit, um, if one of my clients is upset or anxious or, f you know, feeling any strong emotions, um, about the situation they're in, the lockdown situation, plus maybe some challenges they're facing in their work lives. Um, and to be just to work really hard to connect with them over video. It's not that different to being in a room. You just have to really pay attention to what's going on um, in their voice, in their body language um, and uh, facial expression and so on. So really work hard to establish that rapport. You did mention before we started recording that that is fine as, as long as the Internet connection is wonderful on both sides. Have you yeah. have you had any sessions either now or, or you know, in, in other times because you still do uh, online coaching uh, in, in, you know, in your regular uh, work? Mm. What about when the connection is dodgy? Because I know I definitely it does affect my relationship with the other person when the video is pixelated and stuff like that. And you know, it starts uh, to hurt absolutely. my eyes. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, so you're right, that's happened, you know, over the last few years, no problem. Um, so it, it depends on how disruptive it is. So with some people, if, I'm, if, if we've been working together for a while and, you know, we're, we're in the middle of our coaching journey and we've got a good relationship established, I might suggest they turn off the video and we just do it via audio. And that normally improves things. Um, but for some people, the connection has been so poor. It's a little bit like one of those conversations between ground control and the moon you know there's a massive delay there's a lot of static and it's not really a great quality conversation if it gets to that stage i'll just pick up the phone and call them and we'll have a conversation by phone or we'll reschedule um, because if they're not expecting this poor connection if it's not the norm for them we'll look to do it at a slightly different time um, so it, it, it can be a difficulty and not everyone has this great uh, internet connection. But what I am noticing is the difference between video coaching and face-to-face -face is that I, I don't think I've ever had a face-to-face -face coachee whip open their laptop in the middle of my office and look at notifications and emails. And I know that happens over video um, because very busy people They want to see what's going on while we're talking Ooh. and they're getting distracted. I can, you know, we can see their eyes and you can see the reflection <laughs> on their face or their glasses of what they're looking at. So I have had to gently remind some people that it's a really good idea to shut down all your other apps and focus on this conversation 
so that you're not getting distracted, you're not getting annoyed, you're not getting, uh, you're not moving to your next meeting mentally. And for a lot of people, we're working on psychological uh, flexibility skills. So it's about a reminder to be here now, to be present, to bring your focus to this conversation. Um, and that's a habit for people, right? So I'll have a video call with you while I'm looking something up and I've got an eye to instant message. So it's about breaking that habit. And that's probably the, the biggest barrier I've faced technical connections aside. That's amazing. <laughs> Just yeah. because I, 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 I've seen that too. I've, I've had that too, talking to someone and suddenly ping and stuff like that. And I don't have any of that. Um, my, my computer is, is my calm space. Uh, <laughs> when I'm talking to Very good. I don't, I don't have any of those, but I think if, uh, yeah, if you're used to them and, and, uh, then, then you can forget to, uh, turn them on. It can also be a little bit of comfort also. And I can also, I can also see how it can be a nice way of, uh, um, pre preventing that discomfort of having some conversations as well. I don't know. I think it's fascinating. <laughs> It, it is, and and it, it's just worth talking about yeah. openly to people, and just reminding them that you wouldn't do this face to face. You know, I'd point it out pretty quickly if you got your phone out in the middle of a coaching session. And of course, there's always exceptions. You know, if someone's a CEO and and their phone rings and they're you know it, it's a very important emergency. Yeah. that's life. Yeah. It gets in the way, but not trying to um, keep on top of your inbox while having a challenging conversation about your career direction. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not a great idea. But that's a habit because that's what so many people do when they're in front of their their computer. Exactly. So the coaching has continued. The training, as I said, with, with the bite-sized stuff, I've been doing an awful lot of that. Um, quite a number of, of webinars for, for different organizations um, in the UK, in, in, in Spain, um, and in Ireland. Um, and I suppose what I wanted to share about that is overwhelmingly the focus there has been on well-being topics, um, helping people cope with the challenges that they're going through, um, during this pandemic. Um, I've done a few sessions on my sleep essentials workshop because many, many people are finding that their sleep is being disrupted because of this. Uh, I did one in Dublin a couple of weeks ago. Now I think, I mean, my perspective on time has, has gone as well. So it might, <laughs> it could have been yesterday, but the questions at the end were amazing. It just gave people this great opportunity to ask well, what about this? And is this normal? And this is happening to me. And it was a great way to explore some people's concerns and normalize this stuff. You know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. You're working from home all the time. You're not able to do so many of the things you like doing and you're not getting as much exercise as you used to. And it kind of makes sense that you're not able to drift off as easily as you were at the beginning of the year. So there's been that focus on well-being definitely, but in parallel, I am running standard training uh, with clients that was planned, and it's just been switched over to an online methodology. And I think I'm lucky in the sense that that training that I'm doing is with people who are used to doing a lot in, in the online world. So they're very familiar with the software. They're very familiar with how to ask questions and raise their hand, and they're very used to interacting on a call like that. So there haven't been too many bumps in the road on that front. Um, and it's just, from my perspective, it's just about the adjustments um, that I need to make and the, the, the adapting to what people need and the adapting to the different kind of audience that you have on the other side of the screen. So a kind of quick run through about 
yes, a workplace psychologist can do work even during lockdown. I'd love to hear if you have questions, listeners, about any of this, or uh, probably more interestingly, if you'd like to share how you're adapting to these circumstances, whether you're working from home or if you are one of the key workers who is continuing to go into the workplace to keep the country going. Um, and big thanks to you for doing that. But how are you adapting to it? We'd really love to hear from you. So you can uh, contact us on Twitter at MyPocketPsych or send us a longer message uh, via the contact form worklifepsych.com slash contact. So Pilar, any final thoughts uh, you want to share on the topic of how do I work? <laughs> Just to thank you, because at one point I felt, oh, I've turned into the, the interviewer. So, uh, listeners, I oh, hope no, you it's... enjoyed it as much as I did. And do send any more questions that I didn't think of asking, send them through. I'd like to underline the point that you made about um, keeping some notes about your experience. I think that's a great idea. And if people don't maintain a journal of any description, just keeping track of how you're feeling about this stuff and being able to look back at it and uh, thoughts and realizations you have and how things are improving or not, keep that. And uh, that's, a, that's a really good way of uh, processing um, these adaptations and going through these different phases and transitions. So... This is episode number 64 we've got to. Um, uh, thank you, Pilar, for your time and your questions. And um, everyone else, thank you for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com slash contact. Thanks for listening.